So we come to the Word of God and um, uh, Chola asked me if I had a message, uh, a title for the message and of course it's uh, the blessed benediction that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 14. Very familiar words and um, if we were to have a survey this morning to ask ourselves a question uh, of the kinds of words that are regularly rehearsed and repeated in the church, Bible promises in the words of the hymns or something like that, uh, perhaps the Lord's Prayer will probably be first. Uh, we regularly say the Lord's Prayer, not every week. It's not really to be said in that like that way, but we do use it like that way and amplify it. But the Lord's Prayer will be on the top of the list. But also, I think, our text, which is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. We say this often. How often do you say it, Pastor, here often? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now, from the, from the, for the rest of your life, uh, as you don't remember my face but the message every time you say these words my friends there will be new, a nuance and an application and a relevance because you will see that these words as we take walk through them very briefly are so practical and spiritual and supernatural and yet down to earth and every time you say them and hear them you I hope will think of the word of God and the, the, the message for today well just by way of introduction I want to say a few things and then we'll dive straight into the verse and we'll take them line by line we look at the grace of the Lord Jesus what is it the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit but as we begin I want to remember and remind ourselves that first of all we are Trinitarian Christians we are Trinitarian Christians uh, there are some things which are absolutely essential I used to be a chef I don't want to put my host off who's cooking me lunch whoever whatever I'm simple I'll have bread and water I don't mind but uh, certain ingredients identify the dish. I cooked some curry goat recently, and you can't cook curry goat with goat without goat. Yeah, okay. So you've got to have the right ingredients. And it's like that with the word grace. And now when we think about the word grace, I'm not thinking... So I'm jumping the gun here, sorry. We're, we're thinking about that we're Trinitarian. But even as we think about the word grace, we are Trinitarian because the Bible describes God as the God of all grace. God the Father, the God of all grace. And yet in our text, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus. And yet the Bible also describes the work of the Spirit as a spirit of grace and supplication and warns against doing despite to the spirit of grace. And so we see that the Godhead are co-equal and eternal in the way in which they behave and the way in which they work together in concert. It's quite clear that the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. And yet the Bible says that God, the Father, was in Christ reconciling the world. In other words, we, we recognise that our understanding of God's self-revelation is that he is triune, uh, co-equal, co-eternal. But we need to remember that it is a vital and important part of our Christian message. You cannot be a Christian unless you really understand in some measure, in experience ultimately, that we are Trinitarian. Very important. We had a group who came to use a church, as our baptistry, and I just assumed they were ordinary Pentecostal Christian friends. And then the second time they came, my elder went to the baptism and he said they were praying in a really strange way. Just a Jesus, 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 no, no, nothing else. Jesus, Jesus. And that's good, Jesus, but not enough. Eternal life is that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. But I went and chatted to the pastor and I said, you are Trinitarian, aren't you? He said, no, we're not. I said, sorry, you can't use the church. He said, well, I respect your conviction. It's all been arranged. I said, I'm sorry, but you can't use the church. And we had a little Bible study, whatever. 
very important. I would consider this as a, a saving truth, though you may not understand it as you are converted until you grow in the Lord. So we're Trinitarian, we need to remember that. Secondly, we're thinking about the grace as the Bible talks, it, talks about it in its fullest identification. In other words, we're not simply talking about an everyday and ordinary comeliness and beauty and favour, which is a nuance of the word grace in the Bible. We're talking about basically the grace of God, which means God's saving power in really, really simplistic terms. That's just what it is. His saving and his keeping power. And that's what we're thinking about, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the grace of God has three ingredients. First of all, it's sovereign, of course, because God is God with a capital G. And it is eternal and it's free. And so we're going to explore that now. First of all, it is um, eternal. And so we're turning just for a moment to Timothy. Um, let's see, I'll just read it. It is in Timothy. 2 Timothy, no need to keep up. If you can't keep up, you can listen. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Thinking about the grace of God being eternal. Speaking about God who saved us. 2 Timothy 1.9. Who saved us, that is God, by his power, saved us and called us, why? To a holy life. That's why God has called us, not because we're holy. Not because of anything we've done. So we can't take the credit, he saved us. Not because of anything we've done. Um, sorry, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of the world. That doesn't mean we were converted before the beginning of the world, but it means in God's purpose and in God's mind and election, he has chosen and saved us. But we need, of course, to be saved in time. That's the point of the personalising of the gospel. I was converted in time on the 23rd of May, or probably a little bit earlier, 1980. In time, but yet in Christ, in God, in his purposes, though the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. It's personalised, of course, in the Lord Jesus. In our Bible reading in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, thinking about the grace of God being eternal, we read, didn't we, in Ephesians chapter 1, and again, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm in the NIV, but in Ephesians chapter 1, and um, verse 4, part of the spiritual blessings in Christ, in verse 4, he, that is God the Father, chose us, plural for believers, in him, Jesus, when, before the creation of the world, why? To be holy and blameless before him in love. Not because we were holy and blameless, but in order that we might be blameless and holy, uh, and, uh, holy in, his, in his sight. And so we were chosen in Christ before the world began. The New Testament talks about the election of grace, using illustrations of Jacob and Esau in Romans 9. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I rejected? And uh, whilst we may not understand how this works in, in application, we see that this works. Uh, we never chose Christ, he chose me. Jesus said, I chose you, you haven't chosen me. And that's the way it works. So the grace of God, of course, in that sense then, is eternal. But why does Paul use in our text and emphasise the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Why does he emphasise and focus on the Lord Jesus? Well, the reason is obvious and simple, perhaps, because it is through, or in, or by, or from, all phrases in the Bible, him, the Lord Jesus. He himself is our peace. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. John talks about, John in his gospel, he says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Because the law, Moses, the great mediator, the one through whom God spoke, now the New Testament, New Covenant, Jesus, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And in fact, John says, of his fullness have we all received one blessing or grace upon grace. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the New Testament emphasises, therefore, that the Lord Jesus himself, not without the Father and Spirit's work, of course not. (laughs) Equally, of course, in, in that way. And yet, personally, and because it was Christ who died, Christ died for the ungodly. He died substitutionarily in our place, bearing our sin in his own body on the tree. And so the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, what does it mean? God's saving power. And so the grace of God of which we have sung, you sung, or how the grace of God amazes me. The way in which he called us to himself, humbled us uh, to save us uh, from our sin. I'm tempted to, to share a bit of my testimony, but maybe later. Two minute poem I wrote when I was converted. Um, the week before I converted, it was not long. I don't normally do poems, it doesn't matter. Does it? The, the, the week before I was a Christian, the week before I gave my life to Christ, there was a few moments of silence in the church. Very unusual for a Pentecostal church. Anyway, whilst the silence was going on and words came to my mind, I ran home and wrote them down. And I wrote these on the 23rd of May, 1980. For God, you are so good to me. You came into my heart and set me free. Free from sin and all things bad. I thank you, God, I am so glad. There's so much things I want to do to show the world that I love you. A love eternal, sincere and true. Oh God, I'm thanking you for you. Trust in the Lord and you will find a whole new change in body, soul and mind. A change you will undergo for the best and Jesus shall put it to the test. By allowing the devil to try and win your favour and get you on his side, but just trust in the Lord and abide. And I wrote those words the week before I gave my life to Christ, so I think I was possibly converted the week before. I don't know how I could write those words. But anyway, they were aspirations and desires of which I'm seeking still to fulfil. There's so much things I want to do to show the world that I love you. And yet, it is the grace of God. And so every time you say the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you're thinking of two things. The first thing is the grace of God in salvation. The grace of God in the way in which he saves, mighty to save. And yet silently, secretly, like the lady by the river, listening to Paul's preaching and the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. And that's how it it is, isn't it? And sometimes violently, suddenly, some people need a near-death experience. I don't care what it takes. I was sick some time ago. And they thought I had cancer, whatever, whatever. I said, Lord, bring it on, don't matter. My children momentarily thought about Jesus. But God saved me and healed me, but they didn't come to Jesus. But they were thinking about Jesus. Because mummy said, Daddy, Daddy might be going to heaven. Daddy, Daddy may be dying. That's okay, I'm ready to die. But I, my eyes have seen thy salvation, like Simeon. My eyes, now Lord, let your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. That's a picture of seeing Christ, believing on Jesus. Amen? And we're ready to die. We don't fear the grave. I don't want to die a, a torturous death. I'll soon give you my pin number if you talk to me. But, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you. but uh, God will give me grace. Amen. He will. In that day, you don't need to worry what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it saddens me to see that professing Christians are so sleepy and lazy. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Yes, we all change, and I do too, and I'm not always on the up. But we need to remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, or how the grace of God amazes me. But secondly, we need to remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, not just in becoming a Christian, but growing as a Christian. And time doesn't allow for this, but to say, how does grace come to us? How does grace come to us and increase? 2 Peter chapter 1, for your homework. Uh, remember this for the rest of your life. 2 Peter chapter 1. Give my congregation homework all the time. But 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? 2 Peter 1 verse 2. Through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. That's how grace and peace, they come together, of course. When you're saved, we experience peace with God and the peace of God. Because our position before God has changed. We are now justified, justified, never sinned. As far as the east is from the west, so far as the Lord removed our iniquities from us. And we sing, my sin or the bliss of this thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. But grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And so he says, so grace comes to us through the knowledge. How do we have the knowledge? How do we grow in our knowledge? Well, it's in this book. Yes, not exclusively, but primarily and principally. Everything you need to know. All the most important things you need to know. It doesn't tell you how to wire a plug, but it gives you principles of safety. And it gives you everything we need. The work of the word. He chose to give us new birth by the word of truth. And the word of his grace is able to build us up. And those exceeding great and precious promises that Peter mentions by which we become partakers of the divine nature, which is growing in grace. And the New Testament, especially through Paul's writings, has a great deal of teaching. So much to say about growing as a Christian. In fact, isn't it Peter who says growing grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Growing grace. We could be strong in faith, shield of faith. All these um, proportions of faith and gifts of faith. The faith in achieving as well as believing and persevering. And the great lesson, perhaps the greatest lesson in Paul's life, was out of his own suffering. And the Apostle Paul, of course, when he was called in Acts 9, was told, I will show you how much things you will suffer for my name. He knew that prisons and all these things awaited him. But what did it matter? He says, my life doesn't count for nothing. But he knew this. Even though he prayed three times, and we need to pray more than three times sometimes. But Jesus may well say, my grace is sufficient for you. And God may not heal us. God may not take us out of that situation, but he will enable us and give us supernatural help. And all of us, many of us, perhaps can say, more, with more certainty than the foundation of this platform, that the Lord is real. Many people doubt him. I can't live without him. That the work of the Lord in the whole the word in the Holy Spirit has been so practical. We're not perfect. My wife will tell you. She's, she's not listening to this yet. <laughs> but uh, yes. And yet she knows as we know together and individually. We've been enabled to do what by nature we cannot do. That's the grace of God. Peter walked on the water. He contradicted all the laws of nature. Why? Because he fixed his eyes on the Lord Jesus. As soon as he took his eyes off Christ, he sank. But immediately he says, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus saved him. And so the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, whether we keep our eyes closed or eyes open, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God in salvation and the grace of God in sanctification. And I forgot to tell you that the first reference of grace in the Bible is God's choosing sovereignly Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the first reference of grace in the New Testament, my friends, you'd not be surprised, 
It makes reference to the Lord Jesus as a child at the age of 12. Any 12-year-olds here? <laughs> at the, yes, the child grew in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And so even as young children, young people, the same means of the work of the Spirit by the Word of God is we appropriate by faith. The Bible says that for Old Testament Christians, believers that we are warned by their bad example, that you too or we too have also had the gospel preached unto us just as they did, but it was of no value. Fancy hearing such great news. Where the treasure is. Where the treasure is. But it was of no value because they did not combine it with faith. They didn't go and look for the treasure. And we need to remember, my friends, the knowledge. My head is a strange head. I think my head is so full of knowledge. <laughs> and Lord, I want the power of, to be realised of these truths. I don't just want to be a hearer of your word. I want to be a doer also. And this transformation, our character, our moral nature, our temperament, patience, endurance, wisdom, the fruit of the Spirit, all of these things, not overnight, but we need to search the Scriptures. We need to read them, memorise them, meditate them, study, study them, hide them in our heart. Again, it's, it's a lifelong task. And my friends, you'll be wonderfully surprised. You'll be on the train and somebody will talk to you and God will help you. And I can't give you illustrations, not about, not about me, but I can tell you, that's how it works. My mind is slippery and yet the Lord helps me so often and gives me courage when we were giving out trucks the other day and somebody pulled out the track of my hand. He said, Jesus is a terrorist. I said, you'd be very careful. He cussed God. I said, you'd be careful. I stepped back. I said, in the, in the past, God has opened up the ground and swallowed you down. But God is long-suffering and patient, so he didn't. Oh, yes. God is long-suffering and patient, and he didn't. And the point is, God gives us courage. How? By the grace of God. You think that's why we cannot boast. Well, we've got to move on. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in salvation and sanctification. Be a lot quicker on the second two points and thoughts because they are principally the same. But we now think about the love of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Je And the love of God, the Father. And I thank the Lord that I am a father. Um, I was on the train some time ago and <laughs> I had a collar rod because sometimes I wear a collar and get into all kinds of places. And they call me father. I said, well, I'm not a father in the Catholic sense, but I am a father. But the love of God, the love of God the Father. And as the job of a father, what's the job of a father? Is to protect, to provide, and to discipline. And each three of these headings deserve at least a little merit. But we haven't got time but to mention, my friends, God has preserved you today. The Bible says he opens his hands and he satisfies the desires of every living thing. And there was a little boy across the road. Um, he dropped down, hit his head on the curb and he died. The same child or another person could drop their head and sit, hit the head and not die. And the Lord protects us. And even if I come and down and stumble, I would still say God has protected me. Not simply because it may have been worse, and if it was worse, it would only be better because I'm going up. One in the lift the other day said he's going down. I said, not me, I'm going up. I said, what goes, what goes down, they say, must come up. He said, when I go down, when I go up, I'm not coming back. <laughs> but uh, the point is... God protects and preserves us, my friends. And we take this for granted. You know that? My friend went to India and he was on the train. He missed the train, the bomb in the train. He missed the train. The train he was on would have been on with the bomb in the train. When 9-11 started, when 9-11 happened all those years ago, I was at the train station and uh, somebody in front of me was saying, oh, you know, I was supposed to be on that plane. My PA, they said, oh, wasn't I lucky? I said to him, I don't know who he was. 
I said, it wasn't luck. I said, God had mercy on you. My friend was in a major accident quite recently. I said, why do you think God spared your life? I said, I'll tell you why, because you're not ready to die. You're not ready to die. Remember the story of the Christian in John MacArthur's church, Chinese girl, who, whose relative beat her. And John MacArthur said in, his, in a Muslim country, what was going through your mind when the, when the guy was trying to kick her head in, literally? He was an imam, Muslim preacher, teacher. She said then she realised that she had a faith worth dying for. And my friends, it's only the grace of God that can help you live like this. And you think to yourself, I don't know how I'll cope, and I think I don't know how I'll cope. Because I've got a little overdraft food in the freezer and enough fat to last a little while, <laughs> so I'll be all right. But when the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, then is the proof in the pudding. But my friends, you know we don't need to be overly stressed and anxious because when the time comes, and even when we fail and fall, the Bible says he picks us up. Amen, doesn't he? He still receives repentant sinners and the Christian life is full of repenting. Full of repenting, isn't it? If we confess our sins every day and repenting, isn't it? And we receive the love of God in protection, provision. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that your heavenly Father knows what things you have need before you ask him. Why worry? It's, a, it's an expression of distrust. Consider the lilies, consider the valleys and the flowers and look at the stars, who made all these things. Think about what God has done, what he's doing, what he said. And a large part of the Christian life, my friends, is, is learning what we know already. One of the reasons I think why the Lord does help me in his great kindness to have a general spiritual pump, pulse, good one, healthy, is because I'm, I'm always around people. And I'm constantly reminding myself of what I know to be true. Constantly preaching to myself. I don't uh, drive and I listen to the audio Bible. I'm filling my head with sermons and songs. Non-Christian songs too, but many good Christian songs as well. And, um, and I, it's constantly helping me. And the other week, last Tuesday, I had a wobble. Should I tell this? My congregation might listen to this. Don't know. Anyway, I had a little wobble. felt rather sorry for myself. And a dear friend, uh, Jeff, well, the church knows Jeff, yeah, Jeff. Jeff called me. He said, Roger, get up out of bed, he said. I said, yes, I need to go and visit so-and-so. And I just was overwhelmed. And it was most unusual, a darkness, oppression. It crippled me almost. I just wanted to go to bed. I was physically exhausted and fatigued. I don't know what it was. Anyway, praise God. He said, get up out of bed. I jumped out of bed and within a little half an hour, <laughs> what was I doing? Exhorting a young lady, reading the scriptures. What was I doing? <laughs> and my friends, uh, anyway, there we go. I'm rambling. I don't know. What was, where was I? Uh, protection, provision, <laughs> uh, uh, discipline. Discipline. God protects us. He provides for us. He meets all our needs, doesn't he? Out of his infinite riches in Jesus, my God shall supply all your needs. But he does it through the government. I was talking to the taxi driver today about <laughs> redeeming the pension or whatever. God, God provides through all kinds of unexpected means. We were newly married and all the way, all our married life, 37 years, God has provided for us. And sometimes by crazy mistakes, the government sent me some money by mistake. I went to, to take it back to them. We had very little money in the bank. And the lady said, don't worry, keep it. I said, I can't just keep it. You, I need somebody with authority to tell me. They said to me, it costs the government more money to put the money back into the system to give me next week than for me to keep it. <laughs> so I kept it, and God blessed me. <laughs> yeah, and another Christian man, I wish I, one day if I'm in his position, my parents taught us never to be selfish in, with ourselves and the things we have. And a Christian came up to us, we met him, we gave him a job at the church, he sent me to Tesco's one day, he says, fill your trolley. I said, what? Fill your trolley. So I put some things in, 50 quid or something. And he did a, he did a trolley dash. 
Honestly, he went through the Tesco, he did the trolley dash, and he just threw all this stuff together. And God provided for us in many, many unexpected ways. We've had anonymous gifts, crazy things, isn't it? Amen? As well as the ordinary expected monthly <laughs> check or whatever it is. Uh, discipline, I do need to comment on discipline, the love of God, discipline. Hebrews 12 for your homework. God chastens us. I met a young man quite recently who said he was a Christian. I said, what does that mean? He says, I'm born again. I said, what does that mean? He says, oh, I live as I like, sleep with my girlfriend and whatever. I said, what? I said, you're not telling me as a Christian you're struggling, because I do. You're not telling me as a Christian you're tempted and so on, because I am. So I said, the Bible, I said, do you go to church? He says, oh, I don't really like church. I said, do you have any Christian friends? Hmm. I said, you're giving me all the evidence of what not is a Christian. A Christian is somebody who loves God, wants to please God, who loves church, as difficult as church might be sometimes, um, and um, who has Christian friends. I said, you're not a Christian. I said, listen, I said, you, you, God knows your heart, of course. And I said, but you pay attention to today's date, time and place. Because if you are a Christian, I said, God is going to chasten you behind. I said, God is going to chasten you because he loves you, if you are a Christian. And the point is, God does it, doesn't he? He does discipline us, but the Bible says, despise not the chasing of the Lord. My dad used to force me to take milk and magnesia. Yuck. I think it's off the shelves. Mr. Chemist, is this available? Yes. Oh, he's smiling. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Maybe he's got shares and he's on commission. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, my dad used to say, it's good for me. And the medicine of our trials, think it not strange, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. Knowing this, the joy is in the knowing. Knowing this at the trial of your faith worketh patience. And if we have a biblical mindset, in the world you will have trouble. We need to be forearmed and prepared. We need to think through the creed of the word of God. Nothing surprises me. All things work together for good. Every good thing, hard thing, bad thing, it's just the Lord. He's so, so hands-on. You know, we think of God so distant, and, and, but no. And with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the small, smile at the storm. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God in protection, provision, and discipline. And lastly, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, we read. Just a few more moments, please bear with me. Ephesians chapter 1. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going through 1 John in Brentford, and um, John talks about uh, the real historical incarnation, of course, and things like this that we may have fellowship with, with him, with God, and with his son, Jesus Christ, and our fellowship is one with one another. Fellowship is a wonderful word. We don't tend to use it. Pastor used it several times in his prayer earlier on about our fellowship, the church fellowship, and our fellowship today around the meal and everything. Okay, whether, even if it's bread and water, it's okay, don't worry. Um, but the Spirit of God, notice we read, didn't we, um, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1.13, if you're following with me, please do. You also, who's you? You church at Ephesus. You Christians who were once dead in trespasses and sins. You who are now made alive in Christ. You who are now by grace saved through faith. You were also included in Christ. How and when and why? When you heard the word of truth, that's the preaching of the gospel, and personalising it by faith. The gospel of your salvation... Having believed, in consequence, as a result of believing, you were marked or sealed in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, Pastor might disagree slightly. He can tell me later. But there are three words in the New Testament that talk more than three. Three areas of the work of the Spirit in the New Testament. The witness of the Spirit, 
the seal of the Spirit and the earnest of the Spirit. Now, each of these words may have a slight different nuance, a different emphasis, a slightly different flavour, but effectively they're the same. And so we find, for example, not only in Ephesians 1, but in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me just read it, and then I'll explain what I mean. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll read from verse 18. This is very lovely. Um... Having just said yes, yes, and no, no, he says, verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, praise the Lord, as surely as God is faithful, it's good, great to know that God is reliable and dependable, never makes any mistakes, his timings is perfect, even the 11th hour, and even when we think he's late, he's not late, he's on time. As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes, no. In other words, it wasn't if you repent, maybe God might forgive your sins. You really need to say a couple of dozen Hail Rogers or Hail Marys or jump through. No. He doesn't say nothing like that. As surely as, as our message to you is, is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by Ansalus and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, that is Christ, has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, and they're exceeding and great and many, they are yes in Christ Jesus. Why? So that through him, that is Jesus, the Amen, which means so be it, Lord, is spoken by us. Who's us? The believer. In other words, spoken by us to the glory of God. In other words, whenever you agree and believe, whether you say Amen or not, doesn't matter, you are, in a sense, expressing your affirmation, your conviction, confidence in the promise of God, okay? Which is yes and Amen to the glory of God. Verse 21. Now it is God, always first, God who makes us, both, sorry, both us and you, is that right? Yep. That means the apostles and you, Christian, Corinth, stand firm in Christ. Now he anointed us, what does that mean? He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Have I got a few more minutes? He, set, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Now, in the Bible days, there was a seal. So if you, if you had a big barrel of flour or something, you'd, you'd, you'd obviously got to seal it to keep it fresh. But the seal would also serve as a label and a, a, as a barcode, effectively, or an identification. So when people saw the seal or the signature or something, in the old days, you know, ink stamps, or it could be lots of different modern illustrations, it said, that belongs to so-and-so. And basically what Paul is telling us through these three words, the seal, the earnest, and the witness, it may be the witness of the Spirit in Romans 8 that we belong to God, whereby which we say our Father. It may be the conviction of assurance as a foretaste, the down payment, the deposit, Ephesians 1. Or here it says, his seal of ownership on us and put his Spirit in our hearts as a deposit. A down payment, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of his spirit. Praise the Lord. Forgot the rest. <laughs> um, he's put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing notice what is to come. And so, whenever you say the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, salvation, sanctification, growing as a Christian, the love of God in protection, provision and discipline, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, you're really saying, Lord, may as we part, before we part, 
May we know the Spirit's witness and seal and earnest. I love funerals. I'm being told of by people, I, love, I, love, I do a good funeral, I'm very cheap. <laughs> but when I preach at a funeral, I say, who's next? And I've taken dozens of funerals. And, it, and it, people say, what are you going to say? Are you going to be stuck for words? I said, no, I've got too much to say. I've got too much to say. And I just make it real and personal. I'm sensitive, and, uh, but direct. And uh, we'll go into it. But the point is surely this. That there is, um, at funerals, particularly for the Christian, I don't wear all black and I wear something very bright. I would observe culture, but something bright is a Christian. No, no, no black, black, black for me. Uh, something nice and bright, because they've gone to a brighter and fairer place. And the thing is, you see, my friends, we have uh, opportunities all the time. I'm, I want to, shouldn't launch into an illustration. But the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit... Um, one of our neighbours across the road came out of his house and he, he had had a stroke like this. And he came out and he said to me, good morning. Normally you pass by and say good morning and you're gone. This time I stopped and said, good morning, how are you? He said, I'm not very well. What's the problem? I said, he said somebody's his friend died. He had an awful night. I said, perhaps God is telling you you need to be ready to meet God. I said, come to church tomorrow, it's our special anniversary. I didn't think he'd come because he walked like this because he had a stroke. Anyway... The next day, and I'm not especially spiritual, but I did wake up with a verse of the Bible in my head. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Anyway, I invited the preacher to come, never tell him what to preach. He announced this text, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and this man was there. So he heard the gospel. A couple of days later, he'd had a heart attack, and I'd been friends at the hospital for years. They called me, come and shut this man up, he's calling on the Lord. I went and sat with him and my last words to him was, he who has the son has life and he who has not the son has not life. And I was asked to preach at his funeral, which is at the church at the bottom of my road. And his family and friends, I said, your late father's given me the text to preach to you today. He who has the son has life. And after the service, this is not about me, it's just about the illustration that God gives us all over the place. His children said they want to come back and talk about Jesus to the house, which is just down the road. I said, no, you can't do that. I said, everybody's here wanting some food. I said, I'll tell you what, we'll have a bit of both. And talk, took them back and talked to them about Jesus. And the point I'm making is still linked to the earnest of the Spirit because I was, I was excited. This man died outside of Christ, but many, many funerals I've taken. Um, my wife's late mother also died in the Lord. She died, not also, he didn't, she did. And she could only look up. She's lying on her back. She couldn't look at that. I said, Dorothy, you've got to look up to the Lord. Look to the Lord and his strength. You've got to look up. And I shared the gospel with her and she came to know the Lord quite credibly and really and was asked to preach at a funeral and praise the Lord for these opportunities. But it's not about me. Um, maybe give too many personal illustrations. Um, but I want to close by reminding ourselves as it is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, one of the great golden keys in the Bible to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, not just for the peculiar application of Pentecost, that is the, the principle of obedience in John's Gospel particularly. And John, Jesus, through John, says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And when he promised them, he says, I, my Father, will come and make our abode of you. And I know it was pre-Pentecost, and it has some nuance to Pentecost, but it also has a reference to the... Um, uh, personal presence and power of the Spirit. In other words, it's like, it's like the joy of knowing something. So if, you, if you're doing something because your parents ask you, children, you can kind of have a nice feeling about it. Now, I'm, I'm using the word feeling like, like the presence of the Spirit, but 
we don't trust our feelings. But the point I'm making is about the truth. So you're doing something and you feel good about it because you're doing the right thing. And Jesus is saying that I and my Father will come and make our abode with you. And then the language of abide. That if we abide in him and abide in the word, our obedience, there is this fellowship and communion and intensity. It may be felt, it may not be. 90% of my Christian life, I don't feel like a Christian. I don't, I don't understand what it means to be feeling like a Christian. I'm a Christian, not because I feel like a Christian. Is that right? But praise God, there are moments, but I don't trust and look for those moments. And when I don't have those moments of some sort of in, uh, special closeness to Christ and fellowship, I still know that God is with me. Amen. And excuse me all the time, it's not me. I still know that God is with us. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. And so, my friends, shortly we will be saying <laughs> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. These wonderful principal truths. If you have any questions, not, I haven't got all the answers, but chose with me today. <laughs> so we'll give you the answers. But if you have any answers later before, or questions before, I think we're going to pray or whatever, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, please um, make yourself, make it, we will help each other. Well, may the Lord bless you. Amen. <laughs> Amen.